pain and sorrow. And so if we look in the Bible, we find uh, that God has much to say about this. In fact, in Romans 8, it says this, For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope for who hopes for what he sees, but if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought to, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. Last night in a nightclub in Orlando, Florida, somewhere, somewhere over 40 people were shot by a lone gunman who was later killed by police. We know that at least 20 of those people died last night in that club. Our world is groaning for redemption. We as believers know the hope. We know that Jesus comes to set people free. We know that Jesus comes to make all things right, but we're stuck in this, this time in between what, what is and what will be. And so we with creation groan, and, and yet we don't always know what to pray. And so Romans 8 gives us assurance. The Spirit helps us as we pray. The Spirit intercedes with us and for us. And so I want us to pray together today, knowing that the Spirit is here to help us, I want us to pray for our response to this world. I want us to pray for those who are affected by this shooting. So would you join me in prayer this morning? Father in heaven, sovereign God, creator of everything that is, ruler of this universe, our Father in heaven, God, you see this pain, you see this heartache, you see the difficulty that, that exists in this world. You see those families who lost their loved ones. You see the family whose loved one was the killer. And so we ask that your spirit intercede for us both us here in this room and those who are affected by this tragedy. God, help us to know Your grace and Your kindness. Help us here in this room, not affected personally, but affected as part of this human creation, know how to respond to this world as hate continues to increase, as, as hate and violence seems to rule our day. May we be a people of love and mercy and kindness. May we grieve every time a human life is lost. Regardless of their sin, regardless of their choice of lifestyle, regardless of their attitude towards you, may we grieve along with you knowing that you do not rejoice in the death of even the wicked. 
God, help us be light in a dark world as we wait along with creation for the redemption of our bodies and the redemption of this world in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, strangely enough, my message this morning, and I would encourage you, if you have a brochure, to get out the message application points. Take some notes today. There's, not, there's nothing on there but blank space. There are some questions on the back that you can, uh, you can answer as you try, uh, seek to apply this message this week. Uh, but the first thing uh, that you can write down there where it says this week's sermon, strangely enough, the title of my sermon today is How to Be Happy When You Die. Not at all aware of what would happen last night the tragedy that many American families would be feeling as they woke up this morning. This was the message that was on my heart, how to be happy when you die. I've always loved this short poem or, or prose or what, whatever you would call it that goes like this. I heard it when I was a young Christian and it's always stuck out to me and always stayed in my memory. Not many things do. This one did. It says this, two natures beat within my chest. One is cursed, one is blessed. One I love and one I hate. The one I feed will dominate. You know, Christians live between two worlds. We live in this strange place between earth and heaven. As Christians, we know that this is not where we'll stay forever. We know that we'll spend eternity in a much different place than this. Also, in the same way we as Christians have been born again, and we've been given this new nature, yet we live with the reality that our old nature still has a, a, a great deal of influence on our thoughts and on our behavior. We live between two worlds. Every day, in fact, every moment we make decisions that determine which one of those worlds we are living in, though. The Bible refers to the first world as, as the earthly realm. And in that earthly realm, there, there is this ruler called the flesh. It's our sinful nature. It's who we are born as. It's the rebellious part of us that, that wants to rebel against God and do all that is against his will. But we as, as Christians know that we are a new creation, the Bible says. We have been born again and created anew. And so now we, we live with, I guess, one foot in that old world, but yet the other foot in this new world where we are born again as, as free in Christ and able to live for his glory and to do the things that he wants to no longer rebel against him. And so there's this strange tension that we have to live the rest of our lives in. This tension between our flesh and the earthly realm in our spirit and the heavenly realm. We have this ongoing battle that happens in every moment of every day. And we fight. We fight every time we get out of bed in the morning. And sometimes our flesh is winning, and sometimes the spirit is winning. And so the Bible constantly says to us that we ought to Focus ourselves on living in the Spirit, not in the flesh. Meaning that we ought to follow God, not rebel against Him. And the Bible assures us that His, His Spirit will help us do that. One of the places where the Bible instructs us with this type of living is Colossians 3. If you have a Bible, you can turn to Colossians 3. I'll give you a minute to turn there. 
We've been talking about discipleship in this sermon series. Discipleship is this process of, of following Christ. In fact, I love, if you, if you didn't hear it, or maybe if you heard it, it would be good to go back and listen again. That, that sermon that Pastor Mike preached, I can't remember the title of it. Hopefully it had something to do with following it. Sometimes his titles, you're like, I don't know where he came up with that, but it, had, it wasn't from his sermon. Uh, but hopefully this one had something to do with following it, so it's easy to find. Discipleship is following Christ. Discipleship, plain and simple, is to, to take up our cross, as Jesus told us to, and follow after him. When you follow him, you, you do what he does. You talk like him, you, you live like him, you focus on the things that he focused on. That is discipleship. And there is no Christian who is not called to be a disciple. And so don't, don't be tempted, don't give in to the temptation to think that discipleship is for those really serious Christians. In fact, if, if you have no desire to follow Christ, that might be a good reason to question whether or not you have even been born again because we know that our new nature that we're given when we're born again, when we put our faith in Jesus, wants to follow him, desires to follow him. That's where this war... So if you're not feeling that tension between your flesh and the spirit, then it's because you've not entered into the battleground, which is where salvation begins. And so... You have opportunity here today, perhaps to correct that if you desire. In Colossians 3, it speaks to these very things. It says, starting in verse 1, and I'm just, I'm going to read, we're going to go through 17 today, but I'm going to read 1 through 4 and stop there. And so we'll read 1 through 4 and then unpack that a little bit. Verse 1, if then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth, for you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with Him in glory. If then you have been raised with Christ, and so today I want to talk about how to be happy when you die. Well, the first thing that you have to do if you want to be happy when you die, which I know is a strange concept, the first thing you have to do is to be united with Christ. Paul starts this chapter with, if then you have been raised with Christ. So he's made an assumption. That assumption is based on what he's already talked about. He, he's already made it clear. He's speaking to born-again believers. He's talking to Christians who have committed themselves to following Christ. If then you have been raised with Christ. And so first we need to be united with Christ in his death. United with Christ in his resurrection. And then confident that we will one day be united with Christ in his glory. And if you have unity with Christ in one, you have unity in Christ with all of those. In other words, if, if you unite yourself with Christ in his death then you're united with him in his resurrection. And then I think the thing we often forget about is that we are then united with him in his glory. I'll talk about it a little bit more later, but I love verse 4. It says, when Christ who is your life appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. If you've never thought about that, it's time to consider what that'll be like. That when Christ returns, and in his glory... 
when Christ returns and the whole world sees his glory, you and I will stand in that glory with him. He will share it with us, the Bible says. That is our inheritance. The Bible speaks of it that way, that we will receive that inheritance in Christ, that he will share with us his glory. But first, you must be united with Christ in his death. That means to die to your old self and to be born again as a new believer. To die to your old self means that you come to Jesus, you look at the death he died on the cross, Know that that death is the death that you deserved. And so we have to admit that we are sinners. We have to know, not just admit, we have to be grieved by the fact that we caused his death, that it was for our sin that he went to the cross. We need to know that fact and we need to be grieved by it and we need to repent of our sin. And at that moment, if we will put our faith in Christ, we can be united with him in his death. What does it mean to be united with him in his death? It means that God has punished our sin through Jesus. It means the death he died counts for me. In other words, I'm a sinner. God is holy and righteous. He punishes sin by death, so I deserve to die. I know that I deserve to die before God. I have sinned against him in countless ways. The penalty for those sins is my death. But to be united with Christ is to not experience that death myself, but Jesus to take my place on that cross and to die for me. That's what it means to be united with Christ in his death. And if you're united with Christ in his death, the good news is that that it doesn't end there. It's not just that God has now punished your sin. It's that you get to be resurrected. You, you died in Jesus. Now you are born again. You come to life in Jesus as a new creation. As a, as a man or woman who is not, no longer just in the flesh, but now given the Spirit of God, you have this new nature, this nature that wants to honor Him and follow Him and live like Him. So if you're united with Christ in his death, you're united with him in his resurrection. And the Bible tells us there's one more step in this process. One day we will be united with him in his glory. If I could throw some theological terms at you, not to to impress you, they're not impressive. You won't be impressed, okay? You shouldn't be impressed. But for for your education, just in case these are new to you, I think it's important for for believers to understand a couple of terms here. The united with Christ in his death, that's what we call justification. That means we are now justified before God. When you are united with Christ in his death, he no longer has, uh, he no longer has wrath. There's no longer any guilt over you before God. You're justified. You're justified. You're, you're, you're innocent before him now. Because the penalty for your sin has been paid. That's justification. That happens at once and counts forever. Once you are justified by Christ's death, you are justified forever. You are never unjustified before God again. That means he he has nothing against you legally. You're guiltless before him. So to be united with Christ in his death is to be justified. But then there's this new life. This new life, the resurrection 
We are united with him in his resurrection. In Colossians 3, 1, Paul says, if then you have been raised with Christ. In other, in other words, if you are united with him in his death and then united with him in his resurrection. So then there's this new life and this new life has this term that we use called sanctification. I'm sure you've heard that before. Sanctification is this ongoing process of us battling against our flesh to follow Jesus and to become more like him. Sanctification is the process of becoming more like Christ. And that is not once and for all. That is an ongoing process that you will battle through every day of your life. But there's one more theological term that I don't think we think about enough. And that's the the theological term glorification. There's coming a day when Jesus Christ is going to return in glory and He's going to grab every Christian, man, woman, and child, and He's going to transform us. He's going to give us new bodies. Bodies that don't feel pain anymore. Bodies that don't, that don't feel the temptation to sin anymore. He's going to glorify us. He's going to complete the process. He's going he's to take what happened at justification and apply it to us in a more personal and intimate way. And He's going to complete the process of sanctification. And now we will be free to enjoy Him forever. All of that comes to my mind when I read Colossians 3. Well, when I think about preaching Colossians 3.1, I think if I'm going to start a passage that starts with, if then you've been raised with Christ, we've got to talk about what that means. What that means is everything I just said. It, it, it means that we're justified, that we're being sanctified, that one day we will be glorified. It means that Jesus Christ has united us to himself. And we have the assurance of all of these things being, being brought to completion in him. If then that's the case for you. If then you have been raised with Christ. If then that's you. If then you are a Christian. So let's say if that's not you. Everything that comes next does not apply. Paul says I'm talking to those folks. Those who have been united with Christ in his death and resurrection. And one day will be united with him in his glory. If that's you, then I've got some things to say to you. And so I just want to take a time out real quick and say, if that's not you. If that's not you today, if you've not been united with him in his death, resurrection, and anticipating that glory, you can come today. You don't have to wait any longer. You can come and be united with him today. You can put your faith and trust in Jesus to be your Savior and make him your Lord right now. And if that's your desire, you can express that to him right now. You can do it while I'm talking. You can just in your heart say to him, Jesus, I want you to save me. I want to be born again. I want to know you in your death, in your resurrection, and in your glory. Forgive me for being a sinner. Forgive me for sinning against you. Save me. Wash my sins away. Make me your child. So that's the first step how to be happy when you die. One is to be united with Christ, and you can write that down if you're taking notes. Be united with Christ. <coughs> Excuse me. Number two, which is the rest of this passage now. This is where we're going to spend the rest of our time. Number two, seek and set your minds on things that are above. 
two verbs here, seek and set your minds. So seek and set your minds on things that are above. Write that down if you're taking notes today. Seek and set your minds on things that are above. This is what Paul says to the Christians at Colossus. He says, if then you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above. Where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Furthermore, he says, set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ who is your life appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. Paul gives us this, this very practical command to seek the things that are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God, and to set our minds on things that are above. Those are things that I can do. They're a bit abstract, but they're actually very practical when you stop and think about it. I know how to seek things. I know how to set my mind on something. I do this every day. Every day I get up and there are things that I'm going to pursue. There's something I'm going after. There's, there's something I'm going to set my mind on and choose to dwell about. Lately, it's been the penguins. <laughs> but more often, it ought to be Christ. Seek and set your mind on things that are above. How do you, how do you set your mind on something? How do, you, how do you give your thoughts to a particular subject? Well, there's lots of ways that we do this. We have lots of practice. This. You do this all the time. There are right now things in your mind that you're thinking about. That things that when you got up today, you, you thought about. Here's, and maybe you planned your day. Or, or maybe you're looking forward to something later in the week. You, you put your mind on it and you're thinking about, what do I have to do to get there? How do I pursue that thing? You're seeking something. Paul just says, make it Christ. Seek after him. Seek the things that are above, not the things that are here on earth. And so the first, the first step in this process, I think, is to, to first shift your mind from earthly temporal things to the heavenly eternal things. This requires a change of perspective in our brains. This requires a change of focus. And it's a difficult change to make. And it's a change that you make it once and then you got to make it again and you have to make it again and you have to keep making it on an ongoing basis. The reason for that is, like I said earlier, we're in this strange place between two worlds where we sort of have one foot on the earth and one foot in heaven. And we have to constantly make decisions to, to set our minds to, to the things that are over here. Everything around us is earthly and temporal. And so it's always pulling our thoughts and our minds to what is here and now. It's easy to think about the things of the earth, to think about these temporal things. It's what comes natural to us. You go to work and, and your coworkers are talking about things on earth. I assume. You, 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 you come home and, you're, and your kids or your family, they're, they're consumed with things that are on earth. You turn on the TV and, and everything on TV is all about what is here on earth. And so naturally, our minds are given to what is here on earth. Paul says, make this switch in your minds. Give your, give your thought life over to what is not temporary and earthly 
but what is heavenly and eternal. Now we have less material to work with there, don't we? We don't know as much about those things. I don't, I don't know much about heaven. I don't know as much about things that are eternal. I, I mostly only know what is here, but I know enough. I know enough about what is with Christ, where he is, to give plenty of thought to it. I know enough about things that don't exist here on this earth or things that are in the future to to justify giving my thoughts over to those things. I know enough, and so do you. So Paul says, make this shift from the earthly, temporal things to the heavenly, eternal things. And that's a perspective change. And really, when you stop and think about it, when you, if, you can just, if you can just pull back and put this whole earthly existence into its proper perspective in light of eternity, let me, let me try to illustrate this in a way that might be helpful. Look around this room, okay? This is a decent-sized room. If you were to fill this room with coins, let's say quarters. If you were to fill this room with quarters, I mean, to the top, front to back, Side to side, this whole room full of quarters. If I were to hand you one of those quarters and, and say, which is more significant, that quarter or all of these quarters? If I were to say to you, which would you rather have? That one quarter or all of the quarters in this room? In perspective, you would say, oh, I'd rather, have, I'd rather have the large sum. I'd rather take all of the quarters in the room. One, one quarter is, is completely insignificant in relationship to that many quarters. What am I, I going to do with one quarter compared to what I could do with all of those quarters? That's a lot of quarters, right? Well, life here on earth in the perspective of eternity isn't even one of those quarters. If we're going to live forever in eternity, this isn't even a dot on the line. It does, in, in comparison, I'm not saying this life is insignificant. I think this life is, is incredibly significant in that what we do with that one quarter affects all of the other quarters. This life is is completely significant, but when you understand the perspective of this life versus eternity, does that make sense in your mind? If you compare, let's say, 85 years, that'd be a good long life on this earth. If you compare 85 years to eternity, Paul says, stop focusing on that one little speck so much. Not not stop focusing, I'm sorry, that's that's not right to say. He says, stop living for Stop living your whole life for that one little speck of eternity. Live your life for the big picture. Live your life for all of eternity. Live your life in such a way that you trade this life for all of that. That's what he, what he, he implies here when he says, think, seek things that are above where Christ is. Where is Christ? Well, he's in eternity. He's in heaven. He's seated on the throne. Where God is, is what he says, at the the right hand of God. What is significant about Jesus being at the right hand of God? 
One, the Bible tells us he's, he's there in that particular place to intercede for us, to intercede on our behalf. That means when God sees your life, Jesus is whispering in his ear. Not literally. Jesus is interceding on your behalf. It is Jesus and his, his work of salvation here on earth, namely through the cross, that is, that is interceding for us. God relates to us who are on earth based on the one who is at his right hand, Jesus Christ. It also means that Jesus Christ is in a position of authority. We ought to focus on that. We ought to, we ought to remind ourselves that he's in control. He's the ruler here. He's the king of kings. He's the Lord of lords. It's him and him alone. That's where Jesus is. And so he's, he's in this eternal realm. We're here in this temporary earthly realm. Paul says, focus on that one, not this one. How do you, how do, you do that? What are some practical things that you can do? What, man, this is, this is a lot simpler than it sounds when you stop and think about it. We're doing it right now. Right now, you are setting and seeking things that are above. I hope, if you're, if you're tracking with me at all, you're doing it right now. Well, how, how did that happen? How did we get here? Well, you made an intentional decision to get up today and make it to church. You said that it's, it's more important than anything else that I could do right now, that I go and hear the word of God, that I worship with my brothers and sisters in Christ, and that I have that experience. You already made that, that decision, and it was a good one. Because you are seeking, you are setting your mind on things that are above. So keep making decisions like that. Do things that put you in a position to set your mind on Christ and the things that are above. Get into a community group. Come to the summer class. Be involved in VBS. Those types of things. Those sound like purpose pitches. I didn't set this up to be a plug for, for VBS or, or for the class this summer. But we do those things for this very reason. That's the whole reason we do everything we do at church. is to help us as, as a group of believers to be more focused on Christ. And so if any one of those things I just mentioned doesn't help you do that, then, then help me understand that right now so we can pull the plug and stop wasting our time. If VBS is not helping children and by the way, the adults who are involved in that, if VBS is not helping us think about Christ and his goodness and, and the greatness of the gospel, then we should stop doing it. If community groups aren't pushing you towards Christ, if community groups aren't helping you take that foot out of the world and into, into eternity, then we should stop doing that. By the way, I, I, we've, we evaluate that stuff constantly. I do as, as the campus pastor here. What are we doing that's helping people grow in Christ? What are we doing that's just really spinning our wheels in the mud? And sometimes we just got to stop doing certain things. So those are things that you can do. Then there's some things that you can do that don't require us having some sort of program. You can open your Bible any minute of any day, especially today. This is so easy. It's on your smartphone. You can, you, can, I, I, you can have a paper copy, you can have an electronic copy, you can memorize it and keep it in your brain. You can, you, can, you can be in the Word any minute of any day. And when you do it, it helps. helps you to seek and set your mind on things that are above, doesn't it? 
Hasn't that been your experience that the Word of God just naturally takes my brain from what is here on earth and helps me think about what is eternal? It helps me live my life in perspective of eternity. That's one of its functions. That's why God has given us the Word to help us make that transition. So we can get into the Word. We can spend time praying. Spending that, that alone time or time with your spouse or time with some friends just, just before the Lord together. Spending time with the Father and, and just knowing Him intimately. That, that changes my thoughts from temporary and earthly to eternal and heavenly. When you are in heaven, which I hope is your destiny, what do you think you will wish you had done differently here on earth? Now, I don't obsess over questions like that. I find that can, that can become quite burdensome to live all of the time critiquing yourself in that light. But shouldn't we every now and then stop back, step back I'm sorry, and say, what am I doing right now in my life that when I'm in heaven, I'm going to look back and say, that was stupid. I wish I wouldn't have done that. I wasted too much time on that. I spent too much money on that. I, I spent too much time in sin, whatever. It, it may be sinful or not sinful. There are some things that aren't sinful, yet we're going to look back from heaven and say, what a waste. What a waste of that precious life that I had on earth. Are there things that come to your mind when I ask that question? Paul says, live with this perspective. You know, we spend so much of our lives here on earth fussing about things here on earth. When the more, the, the more that we can make that transition from living for those things here on earth to living for eternity, the happier we will be when we die. Another illustration that might be helpful, if I were to, if I were to give you $125,000, and say, I want you to build two houses. One of them, you're going to live in for one day. The other, you're going to spend the rest of your life in. So you take the $125,000, you sit down, and you do the math, and you think, well, I can't build two good houses for $125,000. You just can't do it today. One of them is going to be better than the other. So are you going to spend your $125,000 on that house you're going to live in for a day? Or are you going to spend the majority of it on the house that you're going to live in for, for the rest of your life? Well, I hope the answer is obvious, but the reality is that most of us spend the whole $125,000 on that house that we'll be in for a day. Most of us do everything in our lives for this world. And you can't have both. You can't have everything you ever wanted here on earth and everything that you ever wanted in heaven. You only have $125,000 and you've got to build two houses. You're going to have to make adjustments somewhere. But most, most people are living completely for this life. That's a huge miss if you're a Christian. If that's you and, and you are a Christian, then, then I hope that the Holy Spirit is is just helping you do a soul check right now because you are wasting your life. It is a complete waste of your life if everything you do is only for here and now. Now, I think that God wants us to enjoy life. 
I think God wants us to, to experience some of the goodness that is in this world. And we'll talk about that in a minute when we move on further into this passage. But we've got to do that in perspective. We've got to do that knowing that we will spend eternity in heaven and that at best we'll spend a few more years here on earth. And so we live with this perspective in mind. Let me move on to verse, uh, uh, let me see here. Take a glance. By the way, I think this is one of the the helpful things that's going on in our world as we see our country just totally go down the drain. You know, for, 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 for generations, Christians in America had it pretty good. For generations, Christians in America enjoyed a very comfortable position in society. We were well respected. Our, our views were, were understood to be vo- moral and, and, and um, noble views. And, and as we see things continue to continually turn against those of us who, who would say we're, we, we hold to the Bible as our source of authority for what is right, and what is wrong, the good thing is is that it's helping us embrace this idea that we do not exist for this world. As I see see the earth, the way of man, continually go further and further down the path of destruction, it reminds my heart, I don't exist for an earthly kingdom. I exist for a heavenly one. In fact, in Hebrews 11, people who, who understand that and live their lives accordingly are commended as heroes of the faith. Hebrews 11, what's sometimes referred to as heaven's hall of fame, because it lists out how all of these men and women lived their lives not for the earthly and the temporary, but for the heavenly and the eternal. It says this in Hebrews 11, these all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, and having, having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. Do you feel like a stranger and an exile on the earth? We should. We should feel that way. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. Too many Christians think they're already in the homeland. These people were seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. And so do we. Plenty of opportunity to live for the earth and for the temporary. But as it is, they desire a better country. That is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for He has prepared for them a city. I love America. I'm proud to be an American. I want what is best for this country but this is not my city this is not my kingdom and it's not yours either it's earthly it's temporary God is preparing for us a city where he is the king God is preparing for us a kingdom that will last forever in that kingdom there will be only justice. There will only be righteousness. There will only be good laws and no bad laws. People will no longer, as the Bible says, call evil good and call good evil as they do today. 
Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. Be reminded of that, especially right now. I know for a lot of you, and there are various political views in this room, I understand that. But for a lot of you, the past seven and a half years have been very difficult. And as we, as we enter into uh, the November election, we're, we're, we're tempted to put this in an improper perspective. I've got bad news and I've got good news. The bad news is, is your Savior is not on the ballot. You won't be voting in anybody who's going to fix all of this. Frankly, both of those candidates hate you. They hate your Christianity. They hate your Jesus. And that's the truth. So don't put your hope in them. Or any other political savior. Put your hope in God who is preparing for you a city. Who is preparing for you a, a kingdom where he himself will rule and reign and always do what is right. And he will no longer oppress people with unfair and unjust political systems. He will rule and reign in complete righteousness. And we will share in his glory. Let's read uh, the rest of Colossians 3. Not the rest of, the rest of our passage. Let me, let me just, I'm going to go through quickly, and we'll just grab some of the low-hanging fruit here, because there's so much good stuff in here. Uh, I, I planned to spend the most time on those first couple verses, and then just a little bit of time on these last few verses. Really, this, this passage should be a whole series, but we don't have that luxury. We're just going to look at it all today. So verse 5. Okay, so we have all of, all of those first four verses. Think of that as your context. If then you have died with Christ. So if you're a believer, set your mind and seek things that are above, not things that are here on earth. Okay, then he immediately says after that, and this is how you do that. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. And then he gives us this, this very convicting list. And the temptation here is going to be to see, are my sins listed here? If they are, ooh, if they're not, okay, and then I feel good. But the reality is that all of us have living within us things that are earthly that need to be put to death. But here's the list. Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these, you too once walked when you were living in them. But now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. In other words, that last verse, hey, there's not people that are doing better than others. There's just born-again Christians, and Christ is in all of them. So we'll stop there for a second. And I just want to highlight, if you think about these things, again, try to resist the temptation to be overly condemned if your sin is on that list, and to be 
self-righteous if your sin is not. We all fall into this category of needing to put to death in us the things that are earthly. But let me just make this observation. These things all have an earthly reward. Whether it's sexual immorality or whether it's anger or slander, all of those things have an earthly reward. The Bible refers to that as the fleeting pleasures of sin. If you, if you, if you live your life in any of these, there is an earthly reward. Even anger, things like anger, there's a sense of satisfaction when you're angry with something. They all have an earthly reward, but they all bring heavenly judgment. It says on account of these, the wrath of God is coming. And so we know this. We, our flesh wants to live according to these things where there's, there's earthly reward, but yet heavenly judgment. What does Paul say to do with those things? He says, put them to death. That's a very graphic way of talking about sin, and it's extremely appropriate. It's 100% appropriate. If you are going to take your foot out of this world and to live for the other world, then you have got to declare violence against the sin in your life. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly. Sin does not go away easily. It doesn't just go away because you ask it to. It doesn't just go away because you want it to. You must declare war. You must bring spiritual violence against those things that are in you. One time my brother, had, he had this dog. Ironically, his name was Fred. He was adopted. That was not his given name in my family. He was a Doberman. He was a sweet dog. And uh, so the folks couldn't take care of him any longer. So my brother adopted this dog, and, and he was cool. And so at one point, my grandfather was alive. His name was Fred. My dad, his name is Fred. Myself, I'm Fred. We had this dog in our family named Fred. And then we had a, a betta fish named Fred. So at one point, that was just, the, we couldn't think of any other names, apparently. Um, but it, it came time for Fred to be put down. But I'm talking about the dog again. It came time for Fred to be put down, and, and my brother just couldn't do it. And so he asked me to take, him, take Fred to the vet. And so I took him in, and Fred very calmly, slowly, because he was, he was aging, have some different, very calmly headed back the hallway at the vet clinic, and they put him down. It was a very calm experience. Sin doesn't go away like that. Sin is more like this cat that I met one time. I was working uh, a couple years later at a vet clinic in the summer. My friend, his parents were veterinarians, and so we worked for them for the summer when we were in college. And uh, mostly we just like cleaned up the pens and stupid stuff like that. They didn't let me do anything important. I didn't do any surgeries or anything, surprisingly. Um, but there was this one day when it was just me and my friend's mom there. Everybody else was out for lunch or something, and somebody brought in their cat to be put down. And this cat was like old and it was decrepit and it was sad and it was just miserable looking. And, and so, the, and this lady that I worked for, she just, she just, it broke her heart every time to do this. And she was just a loving, loving lady. She loved these animals, loved people even more, which I think is more important. Um, but she asked me to help. And so I'm thinking, okay, I've never done this. I've never even seen this done, um, but, but I'm here to help. So she asked me to just hold the cat 
And so I lightly held the cat on the table because this thing was like almost dead already. So I'm just lightly holding the cat. Well, when it came time to in insert the needle, this cat found one more life to live <laughs> and flopped off the table onto the hard floor, <laughs> which made me just want to die. And we had to pick her back up and I had to firmly hold her down. Sin's a lot more like that cat than Fred the Doberman. It doesn't go away easy. We have got to take it seriously. We have got to declare war on the sin that wants to destroy us, on the sin that wants to keep us from living for eternity instead of living for the earth. And so Paul says, put to death what is earthly living. All right, one more passage, verse 17 through, or verse 12 through 17. I'll try to move quickly here. Okay, so put to death what is earthly. Put on then, this is the opposite of putting to death. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. And above all of these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. That reminds me of another uh, verse of Scripture that says, love covers a multitude of sins. What a way to live. Letting love for your fellow human beings cover a multitude of sins. Then it goes on to say in verse 15, and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing song, psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Just like that previous list where everything had a earthly reward but heavenly judgment these things all have a heavenly reward and an earthly blessing if you do any one of those things you will experience blessing here on earth and heavenly reward you get both by living for the next life that reminds me of of something that c.s lewis once very profoundly said he said aim at heaven and you will get earth thrown in Aim at earth and you get neither. Let me say that one more time. Aim at heaven and you will get earth thrown in. Aim at earth and you get neither. And I have found that to be incredibly true. The more we live for heaven, the more we live for what is eternal, the more enjoyable life here on earth is. That's why Jesus says if you try to save your life, you'll lose it. But if you lose your life, you'll gain it. The kingdom of heaven puts these things in reverse for us, where if we live for heaven, earth becomes more enjoyable. I can enjoy the Penguins game tonight more because it is not my life. I will live forever in heaven in infinite joy. Win or lose tonight. And so I can watch that game and just enjoy it and just have fun. Everything on earth is like that when you're a Christian. 
Everything on earth, when you're aiming at heaven, everything on earth, at least other than the things that are sinful, of course, everything on earth suddenly becomes more enjoyable because you're not so invested in it. You're not so dependent upon it for happiness. Aim at heaven and you will get earth thrown in. Okay, quickly, let me give you some application questions. What are you going to do to set your mind on Christ and seek the things that are above? I'm serious. Get practical. Just think of something right now. What can you do this week? What can you do the rest of your life? It, it, you know, short-term and long-term application here. Are you going to make it a habit to be in church faithfully, to, to be involved in other activities that, that encourage you to seek and set your mind on things that are above? Looking at verses 5 through 11, is there a sin there that you need to put to death? Those specific things are listed for a reason, not that we need to limit this list to only what is listed there. But God, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, made Paul choose those specific sins. So today, as you look at those verses 5 through 11, do you see something that needs put to death in your life? And then in verses 12 through 17, is there something there that you need to practice or, as Paul says, put on? Is it forgiveness towards another person? Is it kindness or graciousness? What is it in verses 12 through 17 that you need to put on? Answer that question. You can do that. There's some questions on the back of your map and, and you can answer, answer those questions there. What do you need to put to death? What do you need to put on? Every one of us should be able to think of at least one thing right now. And then finally, how does the gospel of Jesus help you seek and set your mind on things that are above? And I want to answer that question for you. The gospel of Jesus is the good news that God loves you so much that He sent His Son, Jesus Christ, to die for you on the cross. And for those who have put their faith and trust in what He has done, your sin is completely forgiven, completely completely paid for, atoned for in full. Now before God, you can, you can enjoy Him as your Father. Enjoy Him as the one who loves your soul like none other. And so if you have not put your faith in Jesus, do that today. If you have, you need to, to dwell on the love of God for you and you need to enjoy the forgiveness of your sins and know that God has called you to live a life that will pay rewards eternally in heaven.